On this episode of the Survival Dispatch Podcast with Chris Heaven, I'm joined by world-famous self-defense expert, Tony Blauer. And surprise, surprise, we're going to be discussing self-defense today. Tony, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Chris, great to be here. Thank you. So for our listeners who maybe haven't heard of you before, can you share your bio first before we jump into the specifics of self-defense? Yeah, sure. Uh, hi, everyone. Thanks for having me on the show, Chris. Like I said, this is this is an honor. You know, I'm uh, a huge fan of everything you guys stand for and everything you're doing for us. So uh, feelings mutual, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so for those of you who may not know me and that probably is is most of your audience, uh, my work is really mostly with public safety professionals uh, law enforcement, military, first responders, but uh, you know we're we're in the uh, self defense world, but really like a boutique, really like a niche. Uh, you know, I've dedicated my life to uh, the pursuit of personal safety and self defense over the last four decades. I had the privilege with with working with you know some of the top tier one agencies around the world, literally in in most countries. And uh, we've uh, shared and developed like cutting edge techniques to help individuals protect themselves. We've always had uh, a market for citizens, civilians, and the general public. So I'm excited to be on this show uh, because we've got definitely things that we've learned over the years. You know, if, if it's working for first responders and protectors, there's no reason why the general populace shouldn't understand that. They, they're, I always make this joke, Chris, that, uh, you know, when when the shit hits the fan, you know, you're, you're thinking about calling a first responder, but really you're the first responder in your fight. That sure. the second responder is who we call the first responder, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. A bit you, of a misnomer, yeah. Yeah, but, it, but it's an interesting reframe because we always say, well, why? where's the first responder? If it's happening to you or your family, like you're the first responders and most people have no clue what to do there. Anyhow, we'll come back to that. Well, I think um, that the, I mean, I don't mean to interrupt, but before we go any further, I think we, we should just make it crystal clear that you have both online and in-person training for private individuals that you don't right. just cater to law enforcement and, and whatnot. You've got some fantastic stuff where the average Joe like me can learn a ton of it ton of valuable information and skills yeah we, we we lovingly joke and you and i have joked about this uh the the average person doesn't want to experience fear and danger uh really? and uh we want to work hard get paid well for what we did go home and and you know without I don't I don't want to get your show canceled I don't know how uh, you know artificial intelligence reads stuff but <laughs> but everyone knows what I'm talking about read like hey leave us alone let us just work on being happy staying fit taking care of our families and uh, you know uh, I, I don't I don't want to turn the show into you know conspiracy theorists corruption uh, blah 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 you, you don't have to I look after that by myself I'm the, like the the head guy in charge of that stuff right but but <laughs> but, I, but everyone... I, you know, I I gotta say one thing because you brought this yeah, up, this up. And, and I don't remember who it was but two years ago somebody said to me Tony we are currently witnessing an epic struggle between those of us who just want to be left alone. And those other people who just can't fucking leave other people alone. Uh -huh. You know well what said. I mean? That, well that, said. that puts a fine point on it right there. So 
Well, you know, given that that's the that's what's trending globally, not just here in the USA. Sure. Uh, the ability to protect yourself or your family emotionally, psychologically, and physically has never been more relevant. You know, you could, if you're a contrarian, you could say, well, no, like back in the days when they were cavemen and they didn't have like uh, medical supplies and, you know, the life expense expectancy was 30 to 40 years old. And uh, I'm going, okay, listen to the sentence again. The ability to protect yourself or your family emotionally, psychologically, and physically has never been more important than now. Meaning you're alive now. Who cares what was important when the cavemen were around? Like you, like right. you weren't there, so it doesn't matter. What oh, the only thing that matters is while you're alive, what's important now? And uh, WIN, what's important now, is a Lou Holtz acronym that I love and share with everybody because everyone wants to win, but nobody wants to do what's important now. Yeah, anyway. I, I think I mentioned to you I had lunch with Lou Holtz. Uh on the rooftop uh, restaurant in Manchester Grand Hyatt in San Diego in 2003. Uh, he, he, he came to speak to us. I was with son at the time. Uh, he was booked for one hour. He stayed for four hours, dropped Amazing. a metric shit ton of insight on all of us. We all walked away shell shocked at what we learned from him. Phenomenal human being. Yeah. One of those, you know, men, iconic mentor coach. hundred um, percent. The, um, I guess just to finish, so people are going, okay, who is this guy? They've talked about uh, government corruption. They talked about Lou Holtz. They talked about <laughs> what is this guy? The uh, so so I have a company uh, uh, called Blower Blower Tactical Systems. Uh, incredibly, that's my last name, and uh, I make that joke. I said, who would have thought that I own a company called Blower Tactical, and and that it's got my name on it? But you know, I spent forty plus years studying violence, fear, and aggression and had some insights early on in the 80s. I've been teaching, uh, I started teaching in 1977. I started teaching professionally in 1980. Uh, I was working two jobs from 1980 to about 1983, four. And I, I quit my day job and just went all in on, on self-defense. I always wanted to um, teach self-defense. You know, I was a Bruce Lee junkie back in the day. I was you know, 13 years old when Bruce Lee died. And anyone listening to this who was around then knows like that was a big thing when he, when he passed away. And um, and I was just hooked. But I, I recognized that traditional classical martial arts didn't answer the problem of sudden violence in the street. And that set me off on a journey that I'm sure we'll get into. Uh, but my, my work goes way beyond the physical techniques. Uh, the, you know, probably the most significant thing, if you Google and you look at my website, is this 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 thing called the SPEAR system, S-P-E-A-R. And it's like, well, what the hell is that? I actually got a call one day from a correctional facility where the guy said, hey, my commander wants to know if your SPEAR system is appropriate for for the uh, the jail environment. And I, okay. said, I said, well, I said, yeah, damn, of course it is, because it's the, the study of... Um, the startle flinch and how to convert the flinch. So when a stimulus gets introduced too quickly, we flinch. We've all flinched. Spider, snake, sudden noise. Somebody sneaks up on you or or you turn and somebody who's in your blind spot. There's a, like a micro flinch in that yeah. moment. Like, oh shit, you scared the shit out of me. And I'm explaining what we've figured out is how to convert the flinch um, and how to weaponize the flinch, make it a protective tactic. And there's nothing faster. It bypasses cognition. So I'm explaining to this guy 
And he says to me, Chris, this isn't that funny, but it's hysterical. <laughs> he goes, well, he goes, well, that's what I'm trying to explain to my commander. But he kept saying, you know, uh, is there enough room to do the spear inside like a jail environment? And I'm like, does your commander think the spear is a long pointy stick? Doesn't he realize like we're the human weapon? Like we flinch and we've got to push away danger using the starter response. Right. But the 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 sad but humorous thing is the guy took it literally. And so so just so everyone knows, spear is an acronym, and I'll say it again for spontaneous protection, enabling accelerators response. Spontaneous protection is, and this is fantastic, like everyone listening. Think about how many times you flinched in your life, hundreds, maybe thousands, depending on your age. Right. Now think about this. You have never said to yourself, oh, shit, that's coming at your head really fast. Flinch. In other words, the startle flinch occurs unconsciously. Your survival system anticipates, picks up potential threat, and then it deploys this startle response because your situational awareness has been compromised. This is a big one, and, and a lot of experts in the um, in the in the self defense field don't fully grasp this. That that situational awareness is a conscious cognitive skill. In other words, you've got to be awake, but you also need to be consciously aware of what you're looking for. What are those pre contact cues? If you're not, and suddenly there's proverbial air quotes danger close. There's going to be a micro flinch or a major flinch, depending on your training and your right. level of readiness. But anyways, uh, again, we can dig into that real quick. I'll wrap this up in sort of as far as an intro. My work goes way beyond the physical techniques. Uh, I believe that uh, true personal safety is starts with developing the mindset of courage and resilience. Uh, in, in my study, so we have another division in our company called No Fear, but it's spelled K-N-O-W. It's the it's it's the, uh, the the notion. It's not even a notion. It's a fact. But until you realize it, it's not a fact, right? It's it's this idea that that fear throttles everything we do. Fear creates doubt and hesitation. Okay. And if it's creating doubt and hesitation, it's eating up time. And violence loves speed. So the longer it takes you to go, oh shit, I'm the target. I'm on the X, or I need to get to my weapon, or I need to barricade, or whatever. That's all mind speed. That's got nothing to do with how fast you punch or how fast you shoot. Right. This is another. This is another area that 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 again is is missed. And I don't say this. I don't. I don't mean this to sound like I'm, I'm, I'm uh, uh, berating anything in martial arts. All my right. success, my life is because I am a martial artist. What I've done is recognize just just like you know uh, certain like high-tech weapon systems or or a better tourniquet or better body armor is the original premise was good but if you look at it long enough maybe you figure out a better way to design it or a more efficient way or there's there's and that's what i've done with self-defense is it occurred to me that if we used neurobiology kinesiology and psychology then that system would be more reliable why think about this if you're learning jujitsu krav maga boxing mma uh, all of those programs, you need to learn the strategies and tactics in terms of, of uh, uh, attacks, counters, countermeasures. But you also need to figure out how to improve your mobility, uh, your coordination, your flexibility, your timing. Like, like nobody can just hook kick somebody in the head without spending right. years doing that. 
Sure. You're not going to figure out how to arm bar somebody without spending months on the mat, learning how to manipulate your body to do that. And so somebody who doesn't commit to the lifestyle of a martial artist is, is going to be hard pressed to be able to defend themselves quickly. And what I figured out in the eighties, and now we've been doing it for decades, we created a be your own bodyguard program based on this idea of what is, what does it mean to be a human weapon? If we went back not too long in time, uh, just a few hundred years, you're growing up like in the country, like your family knew which mushrooms would get you high and which ones would kill you, which plants, right. you know, <laughs> you would know that if things got really quiet, something bad was happening, right? Like right now we're so, we've outsourced our safety for so long and we're so domesticated that when bad shit happens, we're like, we're looking at our phone to hit an app. I got to call 911. We don't, we don't know how to protect ourselves. Correct. So um, I'm down a rabbit hole, uh, you know, here, but, but this idea was, it occurred to me doing this scenario training uh, in the, in the eighties, we were doing force on force training, like kind of like fight club, but with equipment, but okay. not, but not like, like just macho, mano, a mano, we'd get together, we'd wear equipment. So we didn't bust our noses and crack jaws and damage our body. But what we would do is um, we would set up scenarios, but the fights were real, but the scenario would be uh, you're leaving a club and two drunk guys aggress you. You're, you're out on a date and some guy tries to rape you. You're, and so we would create these scenarios where there was emotional, psychological duress, not just sparring, not just, you know, let's get in the ring and, and gotcha. kick and punch or grapple. And so it, it was amazing to see that added duress in there the the transformation in people's situational awareness and self-awareness was huge because when they went back out into the real world they understood that like a real violent encounter doesn't start with somebody on you know mounted on your chest or you in a headlock or you know you bowing and 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 the, or the referee saying i gave you instructions in the changing room you know through osmosis a lot of us think like if i said to you if i said to you chris uh pause for a second visualize describe a self-defense scenario where where you need to protect yourself um and let's see let's just let's just do this live just describe a self-defense scenario just think about any scenario and and just describe it uh, well i would say somebody trying to uh rob me at a gas station because it's happened okay um in your mind you went right to, and I'm going to make fun because mainstream media does this all the, all the time, to the CCTV of you, you know, uh, at the pump, looking around, and then all of a sudden, like, like some guy emerges out of the shadows, right? right. Yeah. Um, so let's do this, and I hope everyone's tracking this. Most of you, if I asked you the question, if we were doing a one-on-one -on -one or, or you were at one of my seminars, and I asked you, most people visualize something physical happening. You did too, yeah. But it it was more specific of a scenario. But it was like CCTV. There's Chris at his at his at his truck, and here's a guy coming in the shadows, and you pick him up, and you, immediately you're indexing your gun, or it's out, or 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 whatever. You know, um, most people when I ask this, and I ask this question a lot, most people will say, "Guy got me in a headlock. Guy guy was getting raped. Uh, somebody's trying to abduct me. Somebody's throwing a sucker punch." Okay. When, when most people think 
about self-defense. They think about the physical, not realizing that so much about self-defense happens way, way before the physical. When we break this down, we call this the three Ds, detect, defuse, and defend. Detect and avoid, defuse and deescalate, and defuse, there's two ways to spell defuse. Uh, some people spell it D-I-F-F-U-S-E, which is diffuse, meaning diffuse your vision. That would be right. a skill you would use while you're driving or looking at multiple assailants. But defuse, the one we want for de-escalation is D-E-F-U-S-E. Metaphorically, I'm taking the fuse out. I'm disempowering. What right. can I say to disempower uh, you or to, to have you behaviorally consciously or unconsciously go, this guy's a hard target, or this is not the threat that's worth my time. Okay. Um, and then the last D, of course, is defend. Almost every self-defense program spends all their time in D3. So what happens is you never cultivate pre-contact cues or uh, verbal de-escalation, which, if you're a good Samaritan, represents a moral, ethical, legal option before violence. Okay. Right, where you can yeah. you can say something where someone goes, okay, I'm out of here. And that can be a threat or it could be uh, uh, something that triggers conscience and accountability. We have a whole system around that that we teach. But the, um, I'll give you an example. I was on a trip, Chris, driving and I needed gas. And I pulled off a road and I, and I needed gas badly. I'd already, uh, you know, I'm, you know, like most guys, it's like, well, let's see how far we can go. We're on a road trip. And, you know, and your wife or your girlfriend's going, you, we yeah. need gas. Yeah, you know, I'm good for another. Uh, and there's, and they don't tell you what's in reserve, right? Like, so I'm driving and suddenly I go, okay, I'm going to get off here. And I got off and I was like on a long haul between cities. And the next uh, place that I got off that was supposed to have gas, the gas station had closed. And I was like, oh shit, I got back on the highway and I'm driving. And then I got off at another place. And as I pulled off, I make this joke. This was the gas station that they decided not to film the Texas Chainsaw Massacre at because it was too scary. I make that joke, like, right? So you remember yeah. the house in Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Sure the original one where like you see it. And I made a joke when I was, I, you know, I was young when I watched the original one. Uh, where I turned to my buddy in the theater, I said, first of all, I hate horror movies. I can't believe you dragged me to this. Second of all, I would never, under any circumstances, go up to that house. That house screams, you're going to die, right? <laughs> and uh, yeah. um, But what I'm pointing at, and hopefully, you know, hopefully your audience is giggling too, I pulled off, I really needed gas. I pulled off, and as I pulled up to the gas station, it was like, yeah, I forget what movie it was. It was a Quentin Tarantino movie where these guys walked into a bar, but everyone was vampires, right? And then and uh, uh, and they get in there, and everyone in the room goes, "Oh, fresh blood!" Right? But they don't know they're vampires. But everyone looked at them, and these guys didn't notice everyone looking at them because all they wanted was to go to the bathroom and have a beer. Right. And so they had. My point for everyone listening is they had zero situational awareness. And I want to share something with all of you here that 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 might be certainly worth uh, the 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 time invested in this call. Every victim of violence that I've interviewed, who lived to tell the tale, said they had a bad feeling before the attack. Yeah, nobody teaches us that. 
So if I tell you, if you're listening, if you've got a bad feeling about a person, place, or thing, always choose safety. Depending on the person, place, or thing, that might be about face, turn around, redirect, cancel a meeting. And I teach this, like, for example, uh, we teach uh, 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 a real estate seminar. And I've told people, every victim of violence who lived to tell the tale said they had a bad feeling. And very often you're in a, uh, a remote location with a person you don't know showing a house. And real estate agents, more than is reported, have been raped, uh, a couple have been murdered, attacked, yeah. because there's nuts out there that go, it's just like a child predator, uh, you know, uh, 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 tricking somebody online to meet your 14-year-old kid somewhere. And, and it's like, yeah, I'd like to see this house. They pick a remote location. They know that nobody's living there. And I tell them, like, like, I could teach you how to do a palm strike and a knee and how to contact shoot somebody, but wouldn't you like to just not fucking be there? Yeah. Like, how do you, how do you, how do you pick that up early? And so there's an, this is going to sound woo woo and I'm not that, I don't have any crystals on. I'm not knocking that, but I'm not, <laughs> you know, I'm not that guy. And, and, uh, uh, if there's a, there's a thing called, and I, maybe I coined it. I don't know if I ever heard it anywhere. Like, like energetic self-defense. And what I mean by that is, have you ever walked down the street or you walk into a bar and you look at somebody and he's looking across and, and you go, that guy's a bad man. That guy's evil. That guy's projecting. Or who's, everyone has done that. Yeah. That's what I mean by an energetic pre-contact cue. You know that if you stare at the guy for longer than a second, he's going to come over and go, what are you fucking looking at? Yeah. Right. That's energetic. You're driving down, you're walking down the street and you see it could be a guy walking, a homeless guy. We walk by them all the time, but sometimes you actually uh, give that person wide berth. You step offline because you know there's something off with this person. Right. So, so folks listening to this, this is all like a D1 detect and avoid phase. Now, how's this tie into? This uh, this story of where I said, hey, Chris, describe a self-defense scenario. I've done this more than once. That gas station, that next gas station that I drove into, where I made my chainsaw massacre joke, when I pulled up, there were a couple of guys outside leaning on cars. It was like two in the morning. Uh, it was it was creepy. I'm going to pretend this was true, but it's not. There was bullet holes in the window. There weren't. But what I'm saying is like, right. this looked like a crime scene. This yeah. looked like, like, uh, uh, and all I did is stay on the gas. And I went, I fucking hope there's another gas station here because I'm not getting out of the car at this gas station. And I, and I tell people like, so many people get attacked at ATMs. But what they're doing is they're singularly focused on withdrawing money or making a deposit that they're not asking themselves, is this the best ATM at this time of the day based on my energetic awareness okay. to, to, to deposit or withdraw money from? Um, like I met, you remember um, uh, the Hillside Strangler? Yes. Richard Ramirez. Yep. I met one of his potential victims uh, several years ago. She heard what I did. She was a mutual friend. We started talking, and I was, she was saying, tell me about your system. I've heard these wonderful things. And I'm telling her, 
that we teach how to choose safety by integrating intuition and instincts into our decision-making. If we know that all victims of violence who live to tell the tale had a bad feeling, what if your self-defense um, uh, methodology started with instincts and intuition, and then you had, at that point, a system that said, you will do this like a DOS statement in a computer. If this happens, okay. go here. And that's that's the system that we designed. That's why our program is so effective for, and we make this joke, people who don't want to be martial artists, people who don't want to work out. I don't want to be grappling and sweating with another person. I don't want somebody to kick me in the face. I don't want to punch someone in the face. I just want to know how to avoid danger and get home and see my family. Okay. Uh, but uh, this, this woman was telling me, she was at dinner and Richard Ramirez was this like exotic looking guy. And then, you know, he would strangle people mm -hmm. uh, with a tie. Uh, she said, I was on a date with this guy and we're sitting here talking at a bar. And all of a sudden she looked in his eyes and they were talking and something just creeped her out. She just said, this guy's, there's something off. There's something dangerous here. And she looked at him and she said, um, would you order me another drink? I'm just going to go to the bathroom. So he distracted him by thinking, oh, here's a chance I'm going to get her more drunk, or maybe he's going to slip something in her drink. Right. And she pretended to go to the bathroom and, and went out the back, only to find out after they caught him and re re released his picture, holy shit, I was going to get murdered that night. But her instincts and her intuition saved her, not how to get out of a headlock, not her gun disarm, not her arm bar, not her front kick. Yeah. And this is what I tell people, like, like you know, I, I bumped into people. It's one of my favorite stories. I'm on a, a red-eye flight, and a flight attendant um, sits down beside me. It was back in the day where, where before we had iPads and stuff, and I used to read a lot. And I have two, three books, you know, and uh, uh, they're on the seat beside me, and it's a midnight flight. And she jumps on, you know, and she goes, oh, my God, that's my seat. I moved my books. And I'm like, oh, shit, I thought I had a free seat. And I was going yeah, yeah. to the, the spread out. And, and and she's in her flight attendant suit. And she goes, you know, this is my hub. I thought I was going to miss the flight, but I, they had an extra seat. So I'm going back. It's so excited. And she's bursting with adrenaline. And I'm trying to fall asleep. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, my God, like, oh, no, like, she's like going to be like chatting all night. And I. Yeah. And uh, so I'm dressed in T-shirt, jeans. I've got tattoos. You guys can't see me. I got some tattoos and uh, I'm sitting there and she says, so I'm a flight attendant. What do you do? And we're starting to taxi. And I'm thinking like, OK, how can I shorten this conversation? Uh, I don't want to be rude. I'm not a rude person. But so I say to her, I'm thinking, OK, what would be a, like a, a job where you wouldn't really want to talk much more? given the situation so i look at her i go oh i'm a life insurance salesman right we're about to take off on a plane <laughs> and i'm thinking like that like she'd go oh, okay yeah no one and she looks me up and down she goes i'm a good judge of people uh, you're no life insurance salesman and i say to her chris you're gonna love this i say to her okay you got me i can't lie i'm not a life insurance salesman i'm a life extension insurance salesman and she says, life extension, what the hell is that? I said, I teach self-defense. And it's kind of like a little joke. I feel yeah. like if I, if I can help save your life, I extended your life. And uh, 
she laughs and she says, oh my God, I always wanted to learn how to defend myself. And I immediately say, no, you didn't. And she goes, I beg your pardon. Like, don't put words in my mouth. Yeah. I said, Pe people who always wanted to do something, do it. I think what you meant to say is you always wanted to know how to never be near a situation where you might have to defend yourself. And she okay. says, oh my, she says, oh my God, yes. And uh, I ended up talking to her for a couple of hours because of that. So like that all backfired on me. But the, uh, <laughs> right. But, but, but that is the story of, of maybe like most of the people listening to survival dispatch. And, and part of that are people again, Hey, I got my generator. I got, I got my food. I've got my guns. I've got like, and, but most of you don't understand how to manage fear in a violent confrontation. And most of you don't understand from a neurobiological point of view, what will happen to your body if suddenly you turn that corner and the attack is there? Because most of the training from the, the conservative preparation okay. is done with what we call ACP, awareness, consent, preparation. In other words, I go, Chris, in today's training, we're going to simulate like a home invasion. So you're here, you hear this, you grab your shotgun, you position here, okay, clear your house. Well, you've created conditions for success, but real violence happens okay. as a surprise. And this is a maxim from our program. All fights are dangerous, agreed. But the most dangerous fight is an ambush. And an ambush, nobody's sending you like a, like a, a chat GPT prompt to, to get you ready. They're right. not sending you a telex or a or a pager, right? How I just I told everyone how old I am. Yeah. You know, so, but I'm sure yeah. everyone on here is like goes, yeah, I remember pagers. But uh but um when you think about the way we practice self-defense, most people go, okay, let's practice grappling. Let's practice striking. Okay. We'll say, get me in a headlock. I'm going to practice the counter. So we've set up the condition to practice the counter, but never have discussed or thought about the emotional, psychological pre-fight duress that, that impacts the best of us. There are, right. you know, I, I told you earlier that I mostly train law enforcement, military, public safety, and what 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 doesn't make the mainstream not the news because the news would never report report this because they're all you know anti good guy right but um, but there are lots of well trained military personnel that didn't get their gun off or didn't get their shot off or didn't get their knife out they were kidnapped they were captured mm -hmm. uh, they were ambushed and so it doesn't like there's this illusion that when I oh when I get to my black belt I get to this level I'll be fine. Uh, it's not true. We we need if you truly want to be able to protect yourself, you need to understand you, the operating system, you, the human weapon. What is at a neurobiological level? Big fancy word for you know uh, the central nervous system controls everything we do. Correct. Uh, everyone likes to use the term muscle memory. Muscle memory doesn't exist in the way we think it does. Your muscles don't uh, uh, fire the gun for you. Your brain, the neural pattern of holding a weapon, pointing the little hole at the bad guy or bad girl, whoever, whatever the target is, and you threat discriminating going, holy shit, this is a deadly force encounter as I understand it. And then you say, pull the trigger. If if you're listening to this call and you've never held a gun, you know, you have no idea what it looks like. And I threw it to you. You would look at it. 
you might point the hole at you. You might write, you like, you're like, what is this? Like, like you've got to know how to hold it. You got to know how to load it. You got to know how to clear it. Those are all neural patterns. You create They're complex motor skills. And, and what people do is they go, well, if I do my 10,000 reps, I'll have muscle memory. Not, it's not true. A fear spike hijacks executive function. Executive function is what controls your cognitive brain. And that is why in high stress situations, Sometimes people don't get their hand off their gun and out of the holster. It just it's just true. It's just a, a neurological fact. So when I uh, converted my uh, Texas concealed weapons permit to a Florida concealed weapons permit many years ago, the gentleman who was leading and and, and I'll just be you know I'm a gun guy, but uh, it was a matter of sitting uh, you know in a two hour briefing for lack of a better term. And then you put half a dozen shots down range and that was it. You were licensed to carry. So certainly didn't filter out any mentally ill individuals or anything like that. Right. But what was valuable from that particular evening was this guy was a 30 year uh, detective, uh, Port Orange, uh, Florida uh, police department. Yeah. And he actually got on this topic that you're on and he was discussing the 21 foot rule, which I won't go into. You can look up 21 foot rule if you're not familiar with it. But basically, he was asking questions. If you get stabbed once, what's your chance of survival? If you get stabbed two or more times, what's your chance of survival? So on and so forth. And he went on to describe how there was a group of these officers in close proximity to a drug house, and they had an undercover cop inside the drug house. And somebody got on to figured out that this cop was undercover and he had a you know a pistol attached to his ankle he had a knife in his pocket so on and so forth and when he was confronted and he'd been caught as an undercover cop a narc uh, he completely froze and they listened you know they're they're all running towards the scene now right because the, he's been un uncovered and now they're physically attacking him but it takes time for these cops to get there and they're listening to the whole thing because he had a wire on. That's how they figured out that he was an undercover cop. He got stabbed over 200 times. And he, he, he didn't pull his weapon. He completely froze. And it's exactly what you're describing right now. Uh, yeah. it, I'm not saying that if he had reacted, he would have survived, but he didn't react at all. The cop who was telling us the story said that he literally froze and, right. and didn't do anything to defend himself. It, you know, and it's interesting. So those of you tracking my story and the story Chris just shared, um, <clears throat> there's two parts to that. Like if, if, like if you said, okay, how do I make sure that never happens to me? Uh, one is understanding you as an operating system. So you can make sense of, of, of the interdependent components. Like, so when we designed our program, all I look at is neurobiology, how the brain, our brain function uh, influences how we move, when we move, how we move. It's a misnomer, it's erroneous, and therefore, if you know about the neuroscience, it's irresponsible to just think, well, just because I practice this, I know I'll do it. Uh, that's just not the way it happens. Uh, a sudden danger will create a psychological uh, uh, fear spike, meaning I'm visualizing bad outcomes okay. for me. 
and that sudden danger will trigger uh, a neurobiological, phys uh, physiological uh, fear spike, which, which at a, uh, in in terms of neuromuscularly, will will invoke or force the startle response to deploy. The startle response is eyes close, head turned, shoulders come up, hands come up to protect the head. So if you've got your gun hidden in an ankle holster and somebody punches you in the face, your hands come up to hit your head, they don't go down to grab your gun. Right. If you've got appendix carry and I bitch slap you and your hands come up to protect your head, they don't go down to grab your gun. So whenever I hear people say, well, that's why I carry, play stupid games, win stupid, I fucking hate that shit because not because I don't agree that if the bad guy got, if if some if some piece of shit got dropped, I'm like, good. Yep. You know, we're yep. safe for one less bad guy. But the idea that it's almost what you said, if, if for those of you listening, you know, you go to you go to Florida, you do a PowerPoint, you shoot six shots on a piece of paper and someone goes, here's your gun. Uh, hello, that's not training and that's not qualification by any not standard. Right. And, and so, you know, but if you leave there, if you're not a critical thinker, you leave there, you go, cool, I got my concealed carry. You know, it's it's uh, it's 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 quite crazy. But the two things that you said with that is what happened to that officer is the psychological fear spike created the problem. He, his, I guarantee he had trauma all over his hands and his forearm mm -hmm. because the startle flinch would would be him trying to cover his head. And, so and, and, that cop, that cop who was teaching that that not only were the stories the best part of that uh, particular you know briefing, he had pictures of everything, and, wow. and he showed pictures, and you know that that officer died. There, there was half a dozen guys who jumped on him, stabbing him, you know, simultaneously. Yeah, his his hands, his arms. Uh, one of the pictures they showed, they had his shirt off. They showed his back. Uh, he looked like a pin cushion. He'd been hit so many times. Yeah, uh, it, it was a pretty horrendous thing. But he showed pictures of multiple different, uh, you know, mistakes that happened with people who were carrying firearms, like people dry firing around their living room and pointed the gun at the guy pointed the gun at his foot and blew his trigger off there was one that was you know that slipped into battery and yeah. uh, you know the gun's always loaded right but sorry i didn't mean to derail that yeah, no 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 all, all value i mean and and having <clears throat> having a uh a mentor like that but really he's not trying to scare you he's trying to remind you that that violence is no joke and you shouldn't be cavalier about it right but i i look at all that stuff and and where my brain goes right away chris is uh because when we do our scenario courses we always replicate them based on real events and and so you know you you uh you think about what could he have said or done that would have changed things. So there's in the D2 part, which we call the choice speech part, the, the first rule of de-escalation is saying something that makes the timeline of violence slow down so you're beginning to control the time. So, yeah, no, and I, I'm familiar on the surface, at least, with your D123. 
I would hazard to guess that that and again the cop didn't survive to tell the story but i would hazard to guess that before you know they confirmed that he was a narc he probably had a suspicion that things were fixing to go south just like you said oh, yeah. he probably yeah, had that, that, that he probably but, had that underlying nagging you know voice in his head saying holy crap this is fixing to get bad and and one thing and i don't you know i i can't give a seminar right now on on a podcast because i like to if i do this on zoom or i do this live your body language is critical to me in and how you're absorbing the information but for example if um uh let's say i think somebody's following me and it's some three in the morning in some shit part of town and like if you got a bad feeling that somebody's following you, you're probably right. And what happens with somebody who doesn't have any type of prep for D1 avoidance, and D1 avoidance isn't just saying head on a swivel. Because if you think you're being followed, guess what's going to happen to your physiology? You're going to go from parasympathetic to sympathetic big fancy word for your heart's going to race you're now moving into fight or flight right right and then so that changes your blood flow and the and your brain starting to go oh fuck and things are thoughts are starting to race and if you don't have plans like if you never thought about what you're going to do you're going to make up things and that's the fear loop that's the psychological fear loop that's the danger where you're visualizing oh my god I'm going to die here and train people. I've debriefed people. Uh, I remember uh, some guy jumping a cop who uh, had done our officer survival uh, school. And uh, he ended up knocking the guy out and saving his life because the guy was saying something cryptic, like, I'm going to kill you, cop. So, right. So, die. He was trying to, right. And it was a, it was a fight inside of a vehicle. And this guy was huge. He had, tried to steal the officers they, they got in a fight outside the car and this guy was massive and the cop sprayed him they were on the ground he sprayed him the guy nailed him and got up and the, and the cop got stunned and this guy ran into the cop car that uh the door was open keys were in it because the fight kicked off really quick the cop just jumped out and the guy's trying to start the car and so the cop reaches in to grab him and the guy turns and lapel grabs the cop and pulls him against the car like almost headbutting him and drags him in the car and he's so strong that he slams the cop up against the roof gets a hand on his throat grabs his gun and he's so imagine you're hanging upside down your pin your back is up on the roof of your vehicle you're getting choked so both your hands are on or on his hands around your throat because you're trying to peel the hands off and holy shit the other hands on the gun and the guy's going, I gotta fucking kill you. And this officer, when he told me this, he said, I thought I was gonna die. He said, I remember turning my head and traffic had stopped and seeing this red Dodge Ram truck had been stopped in front of him. And he said, here I am, a guy's killing me. And I'm thinking that's a really nice truck. I would like to have a truck like that. And he goes, why would I think that? I said, that's your brain distracting you so you don't have to take care of what you need to take care of. You start thinking about other things. And in our program, there's a part of a program where we uh, 
we talk about uh, one of the one of the uh, switches you flip. We call this the, the indignation button. Indignation is a very special type of anger. Indignation is like a how dare you. Indignation right. is what this nation felt after 9-11, right? It's not I'm so angry pounding my hand. It's how fucking dare you. Yeah. And and so that's something that we build into when I'm working one-on-one -on -one or a corporate client or or even our digital stuff. We talk about you need to find that. And there's a way, there's a whole process where you find that out. Cause we ask people go, well, how do I, how do I get angry? How do I uh, uh, create aggression? Some of you listening to this, if if you've never, let's say wrestled or played football or boxed, you don't know how to express aggression, right? So it's something obviously uh, you got to consider and, 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 tr and try to uh, uh, nurture in training. Right. And, uh, and I love the Jordan Peterson quote about like, a, you know, harmless man is a useless man. What you want to be is be dangerous, but have that under control. Right. And so our, our approach is extremely holistic. We want it to be morally, ethically, legally sound, but you got to be able to flip that switch. So here's this cop upside down. Next thing he knows, he tells me, he goes, and then I just started thinking about my family. And this guy's like, and like, like maybe two seconds have gone by, right? He's looking at the truck, you know, he's thinking about, I wonder how much that truck costs. That's a nice truck. Like totally nothing to do with survival. And then he's yeah. thinking about his family. That's, that's the brain letting go. This is it, man. See ya. And then there's a line I'm going to share it here, even though this isn't a seminar, but it's a mini seminar for everybody. There's a line in a program and I have everyone write this down. And then I go, I want, I want three things written and the question is this what will it cost you if you don't fight back what will it cost you if you don't fight back and for most people if if you're in a healthy family a loving family it's going to be a family member it's going to i don't care if it's your dog if it's your cat and i don't care you know if 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 you live alone in the woods and your your most favorite thing is every day you come home and you've got this like handmade you know uh bow and arrow thing and you shoot every day and that's your meditation i don't it can be an inanimate object but something that you know if somebody went to break that or touch that and this is an interesting thing people will let things happen to them but if you were sitting there and someone was was kicking a dog or about to smack your grandmother you jump up and go hey hey right um but a lot of times when it's coming at us, that's the deer in the headlight moment. And the remedy for that is understanding you as a human weapon and the neurobiology of fear. That when the, if you're standing on the sidewalk, Chris, and you see somebody walking across the street, looking at their phone and there's a car coming, you know immediately, dude, dude, look out, move, get, like, you know what to do. You might even, if you, if you can calculate time and space, run and You've, we've seen videos of like the courageous bystander, like, you know, like tackling somebody away from a vehicle. Yep. But the individual who has the same physical prowess to dive and jump and then do, uh, um, you, you saw dodgeball, like dodge, dive, duck, right? Yes. Like, you know, <laughs> um, but because there's, and this is so fantastic. If you think back to the beginning of the talk, their situational awareness has been compromised. So they don't, they're not aware, right? They're looking down like, 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 and so many of us have done in our lives, you know, we get addicted to our smartphone, which makes us stupid. And, and, you know, we're walking, we're distracted, and then we bump into something or walk into something. 
when your situation awareness is, is distracted and then you look up and shit's coming at you too fast, that's where we know what to do if we were on the sidelines. Our reactive brain makes us freeze. We have to startle. When the startle response happens, our body contracts at a lightning speed. It's faster than anything you do cognitively. This is, this is both the danger, but also the magic that if you can learn to weaponize the startle flinch, uh, you can be back in the game faster because your startle flinch will can be deployed like a biological airbag in a sudden violent encounter. But anyways, the the cop. I'm telling. You, I know. I, I, I'm I'm a stream of consciousness instructor. This cop, when when he's starting to black out and he's starting to think about his family, he then he told me he said, "Then I heard your voice in the class, and I remember that question: What will it cost you if you don't fight back?" And without him saying it, he realized he wasn't fighting back. He was giving up, okay, because he was because he was scared, and uh, uh, I tell cops this to, uh, thing, and I tell all of you this: if somebody grabs your gun in your holster, before they can get it out, figure out if it's got a safety or not, uh, put it in their hand and turn it on you, you've got several seconds maybe not i mean depends if you're appendix or if you've got some sort of security element on it a thumb break or some sort of locking um uh, of course cops do you know concealed carry guns don't don't have that stuff but uh but there is time for you to smash people in the fucking throat there are times there's time for you to uh, uh, re react with a countermeasure that can impact their head, their eyesight, their breathing. And, you know, we'd have to do uh, uh, maybe maybe sometime down the road, um, Survival Dispatch and, and my company will put on a seminar for your audience and we'll, we'll get together at a live event, go over some of this stuff. But uh, one of the biggest light bulb moments I had when I'm training people is everyone panics. Someone's on your gun, you grab their hands. So if somebody grabs your gun in your holster, you're taught to grab their hands and pin it in the mm -hmm. holster, push it down. Well, pushing it down isn't knocking them out. Pushing down isn't trying to hurt them. There's no indignation to that. It's a complex motor skill where you may be falling to the ground, losing your balance, and, and you're still in the training. You haven't even You haven't even begun to deal with the fear that's going through your mind. Imagine if you had a gun, Chris, to use in this situation, but somebody else's hand is on it before yours. Mm. Like we're cavalier about that training. That'd be that'd be the scariest fucking moment, right? For sure. Right. So you got to you got to clear your fear. And I I love this in our No Fear program. Remember, folks, it's spelled K N O W. Um, I liken psychological fear to a double feed or a stovepipe. You've got a, a firearm. You're shooting. You know. Uh, this is a, a a question and a joke I love to ask shooters when we're doing our gunfighting courses. Chris, are you good at clearing malfunctions? I would say better than average. Right. Well, most get, interestingly, most people are better at clearing malfunctions than they are at shooting accurately. Okay. Think about that. And and I'm going to and I don't mean this to be an insult. You are too, right? If if you're firing. You got a course of fire and you're going, bah, 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 and your gun jams. You're like, 
and you're like that back that you've cleared that malfunction you're back in that course of fire yeah right yes and and i've seen i've seen people like clear a malfunction and then punch that gun out and miss that first shot on like a force on force and then get in there so i make the joke most of you are better at clearing a malfunction than you are at shooting and people laugh and some people are insulted but my point is this would you ever, because you're so good at clearing a malfunction, would you ever want to have a malfunction in a gunfight? Hell no. Hell no, right? So it's so funny. We get good at things we don't want to have happen. We train differently. But the the what you don't ever want to happen in a fight is a fear spike. Because the sudden fear spike changes how you think and how you move because the mind navigates the body neural patterns it all starts from the central nervous system but there's no way to not have fear in a violent encounter and anyone who tells you there's no fear uh, they are either a unicorn so they're an anomaly which right. means which means like you can't learn from a unicorn the unicorn says look look at this i'm taking a crap and look look it's all rainbow colored you do that it's like no you're the you're a unicorn doesn't happen for us right so it is what i tell people like like if you want to learn about fear management, learn from somebody who's afraid and has figured out how to manage their fear. Okay. Um, there's a lot of people in, like in the martial arts self-defense world that in their marketing, they go, Hey, uh, Joe blow has this program and he, you know, he was a tier one, this, and he's been in 700 street fights and so on and so forth. And I always looked at that and I went, would you send your kid to a driving school where the, uh, where the marketing was, our driving instructors have been in countless wrecks, <laughs> right? Okay. I will teach you to drive, Chris. I've been in 700 car accidents. So I will, I'm going, you have zero situation awareness and you don't fucking know how to drive if you've been in 700 car right. accidents. I look at self-defense encounters like car wrecks. These aren't mono a mono macho fights. If you're a normal person, you should be avoiding violence at all all costs. So it's a whole different way. Our our approach is, is as as you know, we've been talking for a long time and getting to know each other. Very holistic. My mission is to make good humans safer. That's all. And and we have programs for we make a joke for people who are out of shape and unmotivated but still deserve to be able to protect themselves. Uh, uh, you could be um, incredibly fit you know you're a you're a triathlete you run uh you know you you got a little uh hammerless snub nose you know uh that you run with but you still never thought about okay i just finished my run i'm now drinking water at at the park i'm bent over like i just finished a crossfit workout i bent over i'm drinking water from a fountain and boom there's two guys am i shooting them you got, and so you need to clear your fear like you need to clear a stovepipe because, analogy. because your mind is the ultimate weapon, right? As the expression goes, everything else is supplemental. So do our listeners a favor and yes. uh, describe the situation where the girl had taken one of your workshops. Uh, she's just a private individual and uh was distracted on the phone while she was driving realized that she was critically low on fuel and stopped in a you know less than desirable part of town that she would have under normal circumstances never stopped at 
to get gas. Tell, yeah, the, that, tell Jennifer, the rest of that story. Jennifer. So uh, Jennifer, and we should, I don't know if you put show notes in there. We can put the link to the, where I interviewed her. Okay. I wake up one morning, everybody. I wake up one morning and there's a message uh, in my Facebook messenger from Jennifer saying, holy shit, I think you saved my life last night. And then she goes on to describe this. And of course, I called her after. But the story is this. Um, well, let me, she can't, let me, let me explain the strategy she deployed so you understand it when I tell the story. She came to our Be Your Own Bodyguard workshop. Now, our Be Your Own Bodyguard workshop is a program all built around what I call the understanding the human weapon system. Uh, and this particular workshop was a day long and it's, it's self-defense taught with the same efficiency as learning like uh, tactical first aid. Okay. You learn how to put on uh, a tourniquet, you learn some basic medical safety countermeasures, and you're basically trying to save somebody else's life, but it doesn't make you a paramedic. It certainly doesn't make you an emergency room physician, but you're still learning life-saving skills in half a day or a day, depending on the length of your course. Right. So I, years ago, back, actually, I coined the Be Your Own Bodyguard principle back in like the late 80s. And I recognized, you know, something we've joked about offline using different descriptors, you know, do, you know, what's a program we have for people who aren't <laughs> in shape and aren't motivated to go work out five, six times a week. And, and that's most of the population, including about 83%. Right. Seriously. And so, so, and I made this joke. I said, listen, if you, I, I said, if, if you were a VIP at the highest order, you'd have bodyguards. And if there were death threats against you, you would have, uh, you know, back in the day, if somebody thought someone was going to try and poison the king, he'd have someone come out and taste his food. And if that person died, he knew his food was poisoned, right? Yeah. Um, so at, at, the, at the highest level, if you were, you know, had an insane net worth and you had, you'd have your guard dogs at your security and, and I'd make a joke, I go, listen, if I really want you, I'm poisoning your dogs and I'm disposing of your security and you still don't know how to defend yourself. So I've worked with some of the wealthiest people in the world where it was really interesting uh, where their their uh, protective detail had heard about me through military work or right. ex-mill. And I would come in, I go, I'll work with you, but I want to work with the principal too. And they're like, no, no, no. He's like, no, we're like, we're the, and I go, listen, if I kill you, then he's next. If the job is to make sure he's alive and his family's alive, why wouldn't you want that person to learn while you're fighting? If they're sitting there like Jim Carrey and remembering Dumb and Dumber when yep. he was in the bathroom sucking his thumb, yep. I, I don't want you know whoever I'm guarding to be sucking their thumb. In fact, if I had a bad guy on me, I'd maybe want the my, the principal I'm supposed to guard to kick this fucker in the face if you know. Uh, and it and it's and it's funny, you know. But I've so so I try to make it every everyone's training, everyone's learning. Because if you understand the system, then we work together. Yeah. Um, so back to the story with Jennifer in the gas station. So I created this program, and that just like was a little rabbit hole on the bureau bodyguard executive protection yeah. mindset. So if I say to you, like like Chris, how many bodyguards do you have, like on on staff guarding you? zero right that would be zero yeah that'd be zero <laughs> but but aren't you a vip to your family 
And if something happens to you, who's protecting your family? And aren't you a VIP to your company and your team? And if something happens to you, who's protecting them? So right. some of us can't afford executive protection. Uh, and so I created this, this notion of, well, you need to be your own bodyguard. What does that involve? And it shouldn't be, well, uh, we do ground fighting. Oh, we do striking. Oh, we do kicking. That's not be your own bodyguard. Be your own bodyguard is, uh, how are we driving to the airport? How what did we map out this? Like, be your own bodyguard is I'm turning into this gas station that looks like who, someone without a town plates is going to get fucking followed and rolled, or 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 held up right here and dragged in the back and like no, we never saw him. Well, what's this car on fire over here? Oh, <laughs> what's this body in this ditch? Here? Right. And and here's the beautiful thing about the choose safety model, which is really the overarching umbrella of my entire system. The choose safety model says, if you get a bad feeling, just choose safety. What's the downside of choosing safety? Nada, nothing. Right. What's the downside of having a bad feeling about a place and deciding you're being paranoid, ignoring it, and then finding out there was a reason your instincts and intuition were trying to send you an alarm. Come back to every victim of violence who lived to tell the tale. So that's a huge one. If, if people can grasp that, that will make you safer. Even if you never purchase one of my products or attend a seminar, just remember, always choose safety. Don't confuse playing it safe with choosing safety. They're completely different. That's right. another discussion. So here we are. Um, Jennifer signs up for this Be Your Own Bodyguard seminar. One of the exercises we do is this uh, devalue yourself principle. The devalue yourself principle is this. Bad guys only want one of three things, property, body, or life. That's all. It's a short fucking list. So depending on where the attack happens, if you're on a date and somebody grabs your shoulder, your hair, your neck, they're not mugging you. This, you're on a date. Like, this is body. And it may get worse, right? Somebody pulls up in a van and grabs you and throws you in into it. They're kidnapping you. Are you getting raped? Are you being held for ransom? It may get worse. It may be, hey, they said, go fuck yourself. We're killing you, right? Um, you're an ATM. They want your property. It may get worse, but it's a short list. And that's scary, but it's also liberating in terms of decision-making. Because if I said to you, Chris, here's this altercation at the gas station, property, body, or life, right? It's, it's at a gas station. There's a good chance... He wants your car, right? It's at the gas station. He may mug you, but he probably wants your car. It could get worse, right? It could get, you know, it could turn into a gunfight where, where people are killed. Um, but when you know that, it helps your brain make decisions. So one of the principles in the D1, D2 phase of pre-fight is how do I devalue myself so that my attacker Look, who thought I was wonderful prey, then goes, this isn't worth it. And that could be this individual is going to be too much of a problem or, you know, uh, you know, like I'm an animal hunting for food and I see an animal there. And as I get closer, I realize this animal is near death and there's no meat on it and it's disease that 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 lion or or, or whatever isn't going to eat it. It just knows, like, fuck off, shit. I got to go hunt something else. So it's devalue. At the ATM, we created a strategy in, of you're an ATM. You turn, you look over your shoulder. You get the sense that there's somebody in the shadows. 
or somebody wait, it looks, it looks like they're waiting for an ATM, but there's something off. Well, kind of like the Richard Ramirez thing. I'm on a date. Right. This guy's really good looking, but there's something off. I'm fuck it. I'm out of here. And that's that intuition saved that woman's life because he was the hillside strangler. Yeah. Um, so you're at an ATM and we would have people practice this, Chris, like literally in like the, the scenario training exercise is you get up against the wall, pretend there's an ATM there. You look over your shoulder. There's your, your partner in classes standing there. You say to yourself, I got a bad feeling. What does the program say? The program says every victim of violence who lived to tell the tale said they had a bad feeling. Choose safety. How do I devalue myself here? I'm an ATM. I'm going to hit cancel. So no money comes out. But if I just walk away, pretending like nobody can see me, maybe it escalates the physical. Maybe the person grabs me and goes, what the fuck are you doing? So we created this little mini scenario. And this is what's very innovative about our program. You hit cancel and then you palm strike the machine. You palm strike it and you're, I'm going to do this here on my desk. You'll hear it. I hope I don't break anything. You know, you, you, and you start screaming, you fucker. And you yell to whoever your domestic partner is that they emptied your account. You'd go from Bruce Banner to the Incredible Hulk. You're there, you're going, I don't fucking believe you emptied the, you fucking bastard, bitch, whatever. And you go off on it without, yep. without turning around. Now, I want you to imagine if everyone listening to this, imagine you're at the ATM behind me. You're not a bad guy. You're not a bad girl. You're just waiting for me to fucking get my money out. Picture my back to you. Picture this, guys. I hit cancel. That's non-telegraphic. You don't know that. I take my card out. I put it in. You can't see that. Now I've got all my property. And then I go. You just killed your audio. <laughs> Did I hold on a second? Is it back? Hold on a it's second. Back now. Yeah. Okay. Right. I hit my desk too. Right. So I uh, imagine you're all watching me and I hit the machine. I like I I like uh hammer fist the uh the screen. I go, God damn. I have no money. I can't eat now. I can't fill up my car. God damn it. Like that bitch, she, I can't believe she emptied the account. What are you thinking behind me? You're thinking, holy shit. He's got no money. He's got domestic issues and he's really angry right now. Yeah. Am I a soft target or am I a hard target? If, if you're like just another person waiting for money, you're kind of stepping back away from me, give me wide berth going, whoa, okay, have a good day, buddy. Right, maybe I should buy you <laughs> a coffee. If you were the bad guy, if you were the bad guy, you're thinking, whoa, this guy's got no money. I'm here to mug people. He's got no money. And he's obviously in a bad relationship. I can relate. You know, and you've created some sort of rapport, but you've devalued yourself. So we do this whole exercise. We did this once. We did this once um, uh, where I had 70 people in the seminar and we were in a, a, a big warehouse and everyone's rotating through this and I'm giving them different cues and stuff. So, cause what I want is like, like if you go to martial arts school, you might be doing like how to get out of a headlock for a half hour. Okay. We, we did D1, D2 for a half hour. In the real world, Chris, are you in a headlock or are you in a D1, D2 problem most of the time? Yeah, well, D1, D2. Right. Think about that, everybody. Pause on that. Socratic pause, meaning like realize that, have that 
realization that you're, you aren't just mounted or in a strangle or someone's kicking you. This is what I was trying to allude to before when I say, describe a self-defense situation and you go uh, armed robbery at a gas station. And I might say, Chris, you were at the wrong gas station. And you're like, oh, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, I didn't even, I didn't even drive the gas station around twice looking for, you know, people that are, why is that van over there? Why is that car over there? Mm -hmm. Is this the best gas station I should stop at? Is this the, I owe, I mean, I, I'm always doing that, you know, get, gas stations are notorious for robberies. I'll deliberately, I tell my kids, you don't hit gas. You don't need, you fill up during the day if you can and stay away from gas stations that are right in your highways if you can. Uh, um, if you if you need gas, go to a gas station where there's five or six people, you know, getting their gas pumped at the same time. Like there's little things that you can do where if you don't see those, like checking the box, correct, 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 as long as you're like still got half a tank, quarter of a tank, you can go to another gas station or fill up later. Mm -hmm. We've got a guest in from Austria this week. Um, and uh, she said to me last night, I got to go fill up. And it was like 10 o'clock at night. I said, how much gas is left? And uh, so she was asking me uh, where a gas station was. And, you know, she's from out of town. And I, I said, she said, I got 50 miles. I said, your hotel is four miles from here. Do not fill up tonight. You know, I live in a nice area. Don't fill up tonight. And don't fill up in the morning. I'll take you to get gas tomorrow, and we'll go together for when we go to lunch. It was just like choose safety. You don't need to rush. Just choose safety. Anyways, back to the story because the story is super cool. I want you to understand. So Jen went through this, and I was telling you we were at this, this in this warehouse with seventy people. Next thing I know, I've got two cops at the door, and I walk over, and they're like looking around at all of us, and I walk over. I go, hey, "Officer, can I help you?" They go, "Yeah." Uh, the um, business next door called us, said that uh, they don't know what was going on, but uh, they heard people screaming and panic and and uh, a lot of yelling going on. And so they called us and I go, oh, no, we we're just doing scenarios. In other words, it was so realistic that the company next door called the cops Amazing. and said, yeah, <laughs> that's what you want. So you're stress inoculating before the real ATM. Right. Right. So. Um, I think literally a week or two later, this girl, Jen, who had come to this, this one day workshop, she's driving up in somewhere in, in I think near Reno. Uh, I can't remember right now, but she's, you know, critically low on gas gets, uh, um, gets off and, uh, she's pumping gas and she notices I don't even remember right now. You got to listen to the, the podcast. I like three guys coming out of the shadows, right? And she's uh, on her phone. I think she was having some trouble with her credit card at the pump. Um, but she she's on the phone and she's now faking this into the phone. Like as the guys are walking, she starts screaming at the phone. I have no money. My car is completely empty and my credit card won't work. Get me a fucking manager right now. And I want my credit card turned back. And she's screaming. 
But while she's screaming into the phone, you get me, my, I have no fucking money. My car, I'm stuck here. And she's screaming and she's watching in her peripheral vision while she's shitting her pants, right? Her, her nervous system, like, oh my God, like these guys are coming out of the shadows to my car. And she watches them pause in the shadows and then recede back into the shadows while she's screaming like a maniac at the phone. Um, and when she, when we spoke the next day, she sent me the note when, when she, when she got home, but it was this whole idea. She said, I don't know what I would have done. I saw that. And I went right into that devalue strategy. I knew maybe I was going to get forced in the car and get raped and murdered, but it's got to start with the kidnapping and the carjacking. But what I did is I, I, I let them know I'm fucking crazy and angry I'm very loud. So bad guys only want one of three things, property, body, life. But bad guys also don't want things to take too long. They don't want to get caught. And they don't, they don't you know, they don't want to get hurt. So I was, you know, the Bruce Banner to to, to Hulk. I was screaming and, and shaking. Uh, and I said, I've got no money. My car is completely empty. And I've got no credit cards. So if their intention wasn't kidnapping or their intention was uh, kidnapping, but they needed my vehicle, I basically told them, I'm not your target. Stay in the dark, wait for the next person. Yeah. Pretty wild. No, great story, for sure. Yeah. I and think- I, we, have a, we, we literally have a bunch of those, Chris, like where, like, 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 like a bunch of those where people learn that stuff. That's the neatest thing is I get a lot of, of, of emails and messages from people who've 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 uh, uh, done our courses live and digital, and a lot of people are are like, I, I just say this because because of how busy I am, and I'm 63 years old now, and been teaching for over 40 years. A lot of people, because of geography, can't get to my course or can't get to me or can't afford to to book me privately. We got a whole team. That, that teaches in Australia and the UK and Europe, uh, of course, uh, across the USA. Um, and I've got a lot of people I've, I've had, I've had some of you listening to this will apply this in your lives. And you've never met me just by listening with an open mind. Uh, we had a, uh, I just got to, I got to share this. I was on a podcast with this guy, Andy Petranek, who's a, uh, a famous uh, uh, um, uh, strength and conditioning coach up in LA, and he had a podcast. He, he's the guy that started the, I think, the uh, what's the name of it? The, like something thirty challenge. It was uh, some yeah. one of those original challenges, and he had me on his podcast. And his audio engineer calls him uh, after compressing the audio, and we were both. We both, it was, we recorded in the winter and we were both coughing during the podcast. So I just go, and then, and then, and then I go, <laughs> so his audio engineer is taking his cough out and my cough out and compressing the file. And his audio engineer says that after completing the audio, he, he went out to go meet his mom for dinner and an altercation almost happened. And he said, my ego and pride would have put me in more danger, but I just listened to Coach Blower talking about de-escalation and diffusing and choosing safety. And he said, I caught myself about to do what the old self would do. Hey, you know, get it like, don't, and just, and went, no, 
choose safety, avoidance, de-escalation. And he said, I can't believe it, you know. And then Andy, the actual opening, the headline on his uh, on the podcast is that Coach Blauer is the only guy that can make you safer just by listening to him on a podcast. In other words, you don't even have to do the drills because we're all about the psychology of fear and the mindset and just making good decisions. Um, and and for many people, they don't they don't want the physical. If you could if mm -hmm. you could finesse your D one D two, your detect and avoid, just like remember the the flight attendant, you didn't want to learn self defense. You always want to know how to never be near a situation where you might have to defend right. yourself. Right. And if you get that, like, holy shit, like, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of shit things that happen to all of us in our lives. Life is a roller coaster, health, finances, relationships, violence. If we could improve our situational awareness on anything, we can get ahead of it, right? It's most of us are reactive. You get an alarm system after your car was <laughs> your car was broken in you put in a, you get a dog and an alarm system in your house after the robbery you get a gun after someone on the street was attacked you learn self-defense after you were attacked right uh you you when your doctor tells you hey your cholesterol is this and you're overweight then you get a trainer not all of us but but maybe 83 percent right <laughs> we we wait for a near miss to go shit i better i better make a lifestyle change so um well you know. i think like one of the things that you know piqued my interest with your systems was your discussion around situational awareness because from an urban survival perspective which is like the number one topic that the survival dispatch audience is interested in the urban survival is predicated on situational awareness and if you have that situational awareness then without being near as sophisticated as you but you you can avoid a confrontation you know the best fights the fight that never happens sort of thing right. um so i think that the fact that you were discussing situational awareness where you know i haven't heard anybody else and there probably is somebody but in the martial artist world you know discuss that like you did um and then i think that in addition to devaluing oneself i'm a i'm a firm believer in target hardening so it, it for the most part unless somebody's cracked out on drugs and stuff like that you take a, a fit muscular individual whether it's you me or you know other guys on our team here at survival dispatch generally speaking criminals want easy targets and if you look like a hard target they're less likely to engage you again unless they're out of their mind on some sort of you know chemicals and whatnot and this is not a direct corollary to you know, these points, but I've got to share a quote with you from uh, Jeff Nicholas. Jeff Nicholas was the Blackhawk pilot that the movie Blackhawk Down was. He was the inspiration for the movie. Phenomenal, phenomenal person. And he said to me, he said, Chris, situational awareness requires truth. If your mm. intel is bad, you don't have situational awareness. You've been deceived. And mm. It, it it's a really interesting quote because you can apply it to multiple different contexts, right? Like if you read a situation wrong, you're not aware. If you listen to mainstream media today, chances are pretty good. You're not aware. And mm -hmm. so you're not informed, those sort of things. But I just thought it was really striking, Tony. Situational awareness requires truth. That's from, from Jeff Nicholas. And it's a, well, well let me, let me take that deeper. And that's an amazing quote because 
I think we've talked about this offline privately, but in our fear management program, KNOW Fear, we talk about the study of fear improves your self-awareness and self-awareness improves your critical thinking and self-awareness is the only thing that can really make sense of situational awareness. That there's a direct link between the, the intel fed to you from situational awareness, like your senses, your eyes go, okay. that's weird. your ears go, did you hear that? Your heart goes, I got a bad feeling. But if your self-awareness doesn't compute and then spit out what you should do, you become like every victim of violence who lived to tell the tale. They had a bad feeling, but didn't do anything with the bad feeling. Mm. This is very, very heavy. So there's a lot of people that talk about situational awareness, and there's there's great books left to bang, and 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 you know people say, hey, get off the X and do that. But a lot of the a lot of the stuff has a, a, a military level overview. It's it's maybe a thirty thousand foot view or a twenty thousand foot view, but a lot of programs don't give the end user the the insight to connect it to their fear and how fear influences our next behavior. How you think affects how you feel and how you feel affects how you think both influence how and when you'll move. So if you're not evolving your self-awareness, I could say the house is on fire, run out. And if you sit there going, oh my God, oh my God, we're going to die. And you don't realize from the self-awareness point of view, I'm in the fear loop then you're not going to deploy countermeasures. It's it's very it's a very very interesting uh, uh, concept. The um, you know time is the only thing we can't regenerate. The longer time you spend in the in the fear loop, the more time you've wasted. Violence loves speed. So again, it's not how fast I kick or punch or draw. It's how fast I recognize that I'm in danger. Then how fast I clear my fear and then transition to the optimal strategy, I need to solve this problem, which should be morally, ethically, legally sound as force must always power, parallel danger. So uh, I love the quote that, with Jeff because it requires truth. But when you say truth, he's probably thinking of, if I'm being fed disinformation or misinformation on what is a safe place to land my chopper, then I'm going to get ambushed. My situation, hey, this looks safe, but it's an ambush. I walk up to you and I go, hey, man, can you help me find my dog? And the little kid goes, what's a dog look like? That's an ambush, right? I'm manipulating their behavior by posing as some little lost pet. What is truth? And I'm going to, I don't want to get too, too deep right now. And this <laughs> might be like another, but truth is self-awareness. Truth is, hey, if, if you do this i'll give you a donut and if you do this i'll give you i'll put you in a lottery and if you do right you know what i'm talking about yeah. um uh and my intuition said why are they going so hard on marketing of this if they're so sure about it like and then you start digging in but it's my fear of the bullshit so the fear, the pre-contact cue, the situational awareness was there's something wrong with this campaign. Right. And then 
And then my self-awareness said, you're really scared right now. Something weird is happening. That fear, self-awareness and fear of the situational awareness, the pre-contact cues coming from Twitter, coming from MSN, MS, MSM, said, you need to research, right? So I'll say it again. Studying fear creates greater self-awareness. Greater self-awareness creates better critical thinking. Better, better critical thinking improves your decision-making. And I could I could use that formula to buying and selling companies, dating, getting divorced, getting married, uh, mentoring my kids, right? All the way to managing violence. It's the same formula. There's an external stimulus where you go, huh, this isn't good. Yeah. Or this is an opportunity, but wait. Violence loves speed. So does the market. Let's not wait too long. Right. So there's a there's a necessary pause where you're assessing, just like you would. Right. Is that yeah. a gun under his shirt or 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 his self, you know, cell phone, you know. Um anyways, you get the point. I'm I'm uh this is this is getting into the my my favorite courses are no fear course. Okay. Uh you know, um because what I've figured out over 40 years studying violence for aggression but also working with people who hunt terrorists and people who go after drug dealers and you know we've worked with uh, uh the u.s marshals the federal marshals the fbi other acronym agencies uh you know ct units and, and all the military verticals i realized that this the people who manage their fear manage to fight and so what was secondary and i didn't realize this until decades later was your ability to manage fear improves and and enhances your ability to manage how you move your body which includes you know weapon handling but you've got to be the human weapon first and that's our program is is uh uh and and, and you you know this um you know some of the most important work is that human weapon system program and our no fear program and um and, and, you know, when I, when I was 20, you know, I got asked what I want to do by a venture capitalist. I was 20 years old. And I said, I want to make the world safer. And he looked at me, he said, you don't think that's a little grandiose? And I was like, why, why would that be grandiose? He said, you're one man. How are you going to make the world safer? Like, literally, that's the arrogance I had as a 20 year old. And right. here I am 40, 43 years later, man, still trying to make the world safer. Uh, and in many ways care more about other people's safety than they care themselves. Well, I think that's pretty evident in the, you know, the time we spent together, you know, whether it be talking or zoom or whatever the case may be. Um, so before we wrap up here, Tony, where can people find you online and uh, where's you, here's the thing is that you have a this huge range of courses and you know insight to drop on people. Where can they find you online, and where should they start? Where should the average person start their journey towards um, learning the self defense stuff before it escalates to the shit hitting the fan? Okay, great question. So probably like our HQ site is blauertrainingsystems.com. So my last name, B-L-A-U-E-R, trainingsystems.com. Okay. On that page, if you scroll down, you'll see 
you know, we, we designed the world's first impact reduction force on force scenario training gear. Um, uh, the it's used all over the world uh, from, you know, military groups all the way down to uh, successful MMA schools. It's a 10 pound suit where you can head by elbow. Okay. You know, you, you fight in, you can do scenarios and find out, you know, there's, there's a, a quote I love to share experience is something you get shortly after you need it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. right? and, well uh, and uh it's not my quote i wish i could take credit for it but uh there's a, a vietnam vet friend of mine who who loved our approach and he said it to me and i said dude um i'm gonna honor you and 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 share yes. that it's going back 30 years now um but the uh you know and it's true like you know we we always you know it's 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 in the aftermath the after action where i go man i wish i knew that before yeah no um, kidding and so, so the high gear, so the four verticals in our company is the high gear, then all of our spear training. And we've got program, if you're listening, if you're defensive tactics, uh, combatives instructor, martial artists, self-defense, concealed carry instructor, we have a train the trainer program, injecting elements of neurobiology and fear management and scenario design into your classes will make your students safer. Um, and that should be your primary objective. Would you be still teaching if you didn't need to charge money or you may be volunteering? Why not make them safer? Uh, and uh, we've got programs, of course, for the general public, our Be Your Own Bodyguard program. But we also created a bunch of uh, uh, digital stuff. So the whole No Fear program uh, is, is a 97-minute digital course uh, that is... Is, is literally changing lives and it doesn't have to do chris with specific to violence it's understanding how to look at fear if you can change your relationship with fear you suddenly are changing your mind you're controlling time right because yeah. you're in the fear loop and you go holy shit i just noticed my physiology just changed because of this external or internal stimuli Right, internal stimuli is like I'm worrying about something. External stimuli is I'm yeah. looking at something that's making me worry. Um, and we, you know, we love the acronym F E A R for fear: false expectations appearing real. I'm visualizing something in the future that hasn't happened, but it's debilitating me in the present. Yeah, and that applies to relationships, health, uh, violence, finances, everything. We all do that. Sure. That's, that's normal. Um, and then we also, uh, uh, we, we just launched recently another amazing course called the Human Weapon System. Okay. And that's an, on, that's an online course. And some people might wonder, can you really learn online? And 100% you can. If you're still listening to this podcast, there's a bunch of things you're thinking about and a bunch of things you've learned, even if you haven't realized you've learned it. So if you've got uh, quality information and, and uh, uh, an impassioned coach, you can learn a lot online. Uh, you know, for all the bad that YouTube does, there's a lot of good shit on YouTube. And a lot of you've learned a lot of good things on YouTube from, you know, uh, outdoor survival, urban survival, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, shooting knife work, bow and arrow, uh, prepping, all sorts of, there's people that have good channels, so you can learn. Uh, so we put that together. I also, I do uh, some, you know, after, after, you know, I'm 63, like I said earlier, uh, decades of doing this stuff. We've got a few groups where I work with, uh, you know, business folks and and families on on mindset and shit like that. So on that same Blower training page, there's a a, a a big block for our no fear programs and for accessing uh, me as a coach. 
you know, I do, I do uh, speaking for different organizations and things like that. And I realized this, that, you know, if you're in sales, you know, the, the people who, the, the salespeople that manage their fear, manage the fight, right? Like there's, there's an unconscious, there's an unconscious fear there. I was, it's funny because I had a, 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 a former Marine who got hired by a defense logistic company who this guy had seen battle the Marine Corps, right? And now because of his mindset, his strategy, his, his small unit skill set, he was brought into this company that, that does uh, software for defense. And he calls me up and he says, I'm responsible for 14 people and X millions of dollars in sales. He said, I've never been more nervous. He says, I, I, I was less nervous downrange than I am now in the corporate world. Right. He, 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 he knew of me because he had trained with me for the hand to hand stuff. He actually hired me and, and, uh, uh, we did stuff on Zoom with his whole team, and just because everyone was nervous, because the like fear is contagious, but so is courage. How do we choose courage? How do we, you know? So it's very subtle. Anyways, uh, trainingsystem.com, uh, Where to start? I mean, if you're in, if we've got our our sign up for my newsletter, we've got a free ebook called Making Friends with Fear. It'll put you in my funnel. I'm not gonna bullshit that, right? You know, uh, and it's gonna it's going to give you an offer to you know purchase the No Fear program, the um, uh, and even these programs. I'm happy also to uh, figure out a way for you to offer these to your clients, Chris, so they don't have to do it through my stuff. I mean, these are these are people that are loyal and trusted. They trust you. They trust your mission, you, your family values, and we should talk about ways to uh, to get some of these products to your to your listeners if they're interested and then maybe even um uh one day um you know uh like do a do a camp where you know we say hey you know we're you know 100 people can train i mean we can't we can't do uh we i i did a a summer camp where i had 142 people at nice. the event i had but i had i had 12 trainers on site and you know it can get pretty crazy so uh I know your your audience is a little bit bigger than my audience, so I don't know that we could train like you know a million plus people at once. Wouldn't um, that be something? Uh, we can do it online. There's a lot. It, it, it's crazy. For as 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 much as I, um, I don't like the digital stuff and the interaction. I just did. We this is I, I just started doing a. Uh, what we call it elite training retreat retreat it's 10 people at my house we just did right. our first one and everyone's vetted you gotta you know send in like who are you and we vet you because i don't just invite anyone in my house absolutely and, and um um we just did the first one and it was freaking amazing uh we also uh run something online four times a week i teach live on zoom and and what we do it's it's amazing uh, you know, I'll take like an active shooter CCTV and break it down and then do drills with people and when you would move and how could you move and what it's creating is mental blueprints. Mm. We've done multiple assailants like when that stabbing in uh, in France happened, we took that from all the different angles and we ran through scenarios where, you know, you, you guys listening, you can't see this because it's an audio, but I can I can stand with a prop in front of Chris and move at him with a knife and and have him simulate the timing of me moving towards the camera uh 
you know, when he's going to deploy the spear, how he's going to wrap my hand, where he's going to hit me, what target. And what you're doing is you're creating mental blueprints. There's a lot of neuroscience research that says if you visualize and you're doing these drills, uh, part of your nervous system it can't differentiate between the synthetic experience and the real experience. And as long as you're not goofy about it, I always remind people with the utmost respect and humility that I go, guys, this isn't real, but it's based on reality. We're not basing this on a sport. We're, we're, we're actually looking at, at stuff. So we do uh, tactical fitness in the class and, and teach people how to train at home. Uh, that's also in the human weapon system. I filmed it first person, Chris. So it was almost as if you had booked a private lesson with me right. and said, teach me nonviolent postures and de-escalation. Show me some simple things I can do at home. So it's filmed first person as if you hired me for a private lesson and it's it's literally 10 lessons. And in less than 10 hours, your survival IQ will change. 100% guaranteed. Hey, easy now. That's that's the, the survival prepper IQ is a trademark by survival. Is it? That's something for our members. That's interesting because uh, I've been great minds think alike because I've been using the terms uh, self-defense IQ uh, for a long so, time. So we have a 93 question test. Uh, takes most people about 45 minutes to get through it. And it benchmarks where you stand as far as survival and prepping is concerned. And so it basically shows you where you need to, you know, expend some additional energy and time on acquiring skills, upping your game, those sort of things. And then if you go and take something, let's say you take the human weapon system from you and maybe the person continues to digest content over the course of the next three, four, five, six months, they come back, they take the survival prepper IQ again. And all right. of a sudden, you know, they've upped their game by ten percent or something like that. Yeah. And because people want to know, how am I doing? Did I yeah. move the needle? Right? Imagine somebody who's never got into survival and prepping, and they take the survival prepper IQ on survival dispatch, and they score twenty percent. Okay, and they think, okay, well, I'm going to improve my skills and my station in life as far as survival and prepping is concerned. And they spend the next six months as a sponge absorbing all of this stuff. And they come back and they take the survival prepper IQ again. And all of a sudden they scored 37%. They're going to feel pretty good. They're like, hey, sure. you know, I went from 20% to 37%. I'm moving in the right direction. The investment of my time is actually, you know, uh, giving me a return. It's it's fruitful sort of thing. So, you know, I'm I'm not an expert in your field at all. So from a layman's perspective, when I look at it from the outside, because I dove into a bunch of your stuff, you know, Blower uh, Tactical Systems.com is the starting point. I think no fear is the place that people should start. You know, it, it's, yeah. you know, approximately an hour and a half of somebody's time. Uh, so it's yeah. not like not like they're making a huge, huge commit, uh, commitment time wise or money wise. And then I actually think that from my perspective, from, you know, an outsider, that the uh, human weapon system makes a lot of sense uh, to move yeah. into that next. So let me share a couple of things with you. You know, business 101, play to your audience. So we pull the survival dispatch audience on a frequent basis. And there's a high level of interest in online learning, but there's also the recognition that in-person training is better than online for many things, maybe not everything, but for many things, especially for this kind of stuff. 
So the next question, you know, or one of the following questions we asked in our most recent surveys is if the Survival Dispatch Insider members would be interested in, you know, annual events where they got an invite, you know, mm. and it's exclusive to SDI members sort of thing. And I, I want to say it was somewhere around 93, 94% of wow. respondents were in there. So as far as, you know, BTS, Blower Tactical Systems and Survival Dispatch is concerned, we can work towards, right now, they can sign up for the stuff on your website, but we can absolutely work towards utilizing our learning management system, which is behind a paywall for Survival Dispatch Insider members. And we can also work towards, when we do our first annual event, it'll be kind of like baby steps. But the goal is, is to do something similar to what Casey at Georgia Bushcraft is doing, where he has one big event per year where he brings together all these subject matter experts and people like myself can go and take these breakout workshops, right? With all these experts, but he still does plenty of other training throughout the course of the year. Our, our vision is slightly different. His stuff is focused on bushcraft. Our stuff is, is focused more so on survival is that we want to do something similar to that where we have one big event each year we bring people like you in so people can get the benefit of firsthand uh training and and you know rub yeah. off some of your knowledge on them and whatnot and then potentially continue that on because i love your zoom stuff you know like your your garage gym and whatnot um it's a great way to scale right it's a great way to take uh tony blower's four plus decades of knowledge and experience which is very, highly unique and and preach that gospel out to a larger audience so have you got anything parting to say or should we wrap it up no, man. The no, two hour mark? <laughs> like yeah no i mean it, it was a mini seminar hopefully hopefully uh, everyone stayed on you know if you're still on listening to this give yourself a little uh golf clap and a pat on the back um yeah, hopefully my uh my passion slash slash obsession came through in my voice I, I i live this stuff i breathe this stuff i abhor violence and and uh it's why i study it it's why i practice it and it's why you know here i am decades later still doing this still still pushing it and still trying to connect with with uh people like chris and his team and and companies where uh you know we can get this information out and make good humans safer and um no i hope uh i hope uh, that everyone picked up a couple of points and and are empowered by this hey i i picked up more than a couple of points and we've spoken at length so if i picked up a couple of points after all the time we've spent together i'm sure that our listeners have picked up some you know valuable information as well so uh, tony I really appreciate your time thank you for coming on the podcast and look forward to the next time Thank you, Chris.